It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Roka Report podcast in association with the Southern Community Soup Kitchen. It's Gav back after Sunderland's 2-1 away defeat at Rotherham United. Uh, joining me to dissect the game, to talk about our game with Coventry at the weekend, to talk about some good news which came out of the club, is Chris. And I had almost forgotten the score until you said it again. <laughs> when you read it out loud, I was like, oh, yeah, it's oh a, shit, it's we're going to talk about that. It's a particularly sore one for us, isn't it, me and you? Because <laughs> you, you live in the area and I'm uh, I'm living with a Rotherham fan. So, yeah, it wasn't a nice one to take, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, she, she had to get that one in when she woke up this morning and seen the score. Uh, but yeah, we, we lost 2-1. We probably gave our worst performance of the season, I would say. Yeah, I can't I can't think of... I, I was just looking I was just looking at the fixtures. I can't think of one. The only real... The only thing that springs to mind is our first half at Swansea, but is it... Is it Cardiff. I, Cardiff at home was the other maybe, one. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, that was, a, yeah, where that we was were pretty poor. bad. Yeah, that was pretty awful. I mean, I mean at, at half-time, at half-time, I said, ah. that's the worst half of football we've played. First half we've played all season. It yeah. was it was shocking. And I mean, we're not we're not going to sit here and stick the knife into the players and, and what have you, because I think they, they do have, you know, enough credit in the bank we can let certain things slide I think it was a very tired performance but it's not typical of us at the minute I wouldn't say we haven't I mean I think I do feel like this has been coming though I do feel like yeah. we've had a couple of performances where I've I felt like the tiredness is going to come to a head and we're going to struggle in a physical game and I think this was it I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna disagree with you slightly because you said kind of against the grain there but I, th- I think it's been coming I think the the results to a certain extent since the Middlesbrough game has kind of masked a little bit of our failing since that game, I think. Other than, obviously, because f- Middlesbrough, we were fantastic. Fulham, we were fantastic. Away, should have beat them. But since then, Millwall was a gritty performance. We didn't really get going with the ball on the floor. Redden, we had to grind that out. I mean, I know Redden did their thing, but we weren't particularly great in that game. It was a bit, it was more, more of a slog than it should have been. QBR, I said at the time, I thought we started that game poorly. I thought QPR were the better team early early on, um, and we had to grow into that game. Bristol City, we talked about it at the weekend, where we it was an awful first half, um, and we had to grow into that game as well. And that first half, 
against Rotherham was an end product of, of those performances kind of gradually getting like that, where that, that first half was just, I mean, what was it? Alex Pritchard, I think, with had the only shot on target where he curled that one in that was going in the top corner. Um, mm. But I, I don't think long term this is necessarily a bad thing because, like I said, since Middlesbrough, we seem to be kind of limping along and getting the results and, you know, doing enough, but doing just enough to get like a draw against Bristol City, you know, getting those late goals against QPR, you know, getting that goal against Redden, it was kind of just doing enough. And maybe, maybe this defeat at Rotherham might get us to, to kind of reset and, and kind of refocus on things. Yeah, and I think it's probably, you know, a good time for Mowbray to take stock. And I actually think there was a little bit of arrogance in the team selection. Mm. In that yeah. we thought we were just going to go there and play football and outdo them. And, um, you know, anybody who watched us play Rotherham last season knows that it isn't an easy game. You can't just turn up there and, and boss it because that's that's pretty much the position we were in last year. I think we were we were flying before we went to Rotherham playing some gorgeous football under Lee Johnson and they absolutely battered us. And I was at that game. Pitch was tight. They know what they're good at and they play to their strengths. And I know it's a different manager. I know they've lost a lot of players, but that's that that ethos is still there, particularly in midfield. They, they wanted it. They just wanted the ball. They wanted to win the battles. They were probably really pretty glad that we went with the team we did because I'll be honest, I wasn't expecting to see Dan Neal and Edouard Michaud start. I just felt like it was a maybe the wrong game for, for the pair of them and that we should maybe do what we did at QPR and put Luke O'Neill in and try and ensure that we're protected physically. You know, he, he decided to drop Trey Hume and play Luke O'Neill at right back. Also decided to drop Patrick Roberts. And I think he explained after the game that was because he felt he played a lot of football. But there are other attackers who look, look a lot more tired than he does at the minute. So that was a strange one. You know, I don't often pick at his team selection and stuff, but I think he got this one pretty wrong. And then... Probably well, he definitely waited too long to address it. I mean, we were we were two nil down by the time we actually properly addressed it. And I think at half time, I know it's not his way. I know Mowbray's we've been in this position before with him where we go in at half time and we're like, he needs to make changes and he always gives those players the sort of ten, fifteen minutes they need to take the instruction on board and improve. And it has worked for us, to be fair. But I think at half time I was sat there thinking he has to make changes here before this gets away from us. And it did in the end. It got away from us. I know, you know, the last half an hour or so was much improved and we played some good stuff and we created chances and we even got a goal back. But it was too little too late. I think we could have addressed it a lot earlier. And I'm not just talking about before the game where, you know, we knew we were going to be in a physical battle. We didn't pick a physical team. Half time was the chance to change things slightly and he just didn't do it. Um, so I do think this one might be on the manager this time around and yeah that's yeah I think I think we could have we, we've sold ourselves short and there was a bit of arrogance there with the team selection well I might end up contradicting myself here but I mean just kind of going back to when we talked last we were talking about what team selection he might play and to be fair in the conversation we had we were saying you know Rotherham would is a kind of almost a, a perfect opportunity to get some minutes in, into players legs and give people a rest yeah and just rested the wrong players. <laughs> well, it it did to a certain extent, but I'm I'm not I'm not completely sure how much it was about personnel and how much it was about shape, because I can't remember what which game it was. It might have been 
might be the QPR one um, early on. I can't remember. It might have been a different game. But where he tried this, he's got this system where he had Gellart and Clark up front. and then was he pulled, QPR, yeah. And then he, he pulled Pritchard over to the left-hand side and he had um, Ahmad on the right. And and then he had Mishu and Neil as, as almost like a 4-4-2. And the problem is, out, out of possession, when Rotherham were out of possession, Rathbone dropped in. So he was alongside Fosu and Coventry in the middle. And then they had a three in midfield. So they just outmuscled and outnumbered Mishu and Dan Neil. And look, don't get us wrong, I thought Mishu and Dan Neil were, were just poor anyway. I mean, he, even the 10 yard pass was evading them Rotherham. I mean, they didn't get the simple things right. But I don't think they were backed by just saying, right, well, you two would just kind of fend for yourselves against their three when Ratbone dropped in. But I do think, you know, and, and like I said, I, I think it was more the system. But with that personnel, you look at that team and I don't necessarily disagree with anything you're saying about those two in the middle. But that team should be beaten, Rotherham, full stop. Mm. I don't know if it's as easy as that, though. I don't know. But they didn't get the ball down on the deck. They didn't play the football. No. They didn't get the 10-yard passes right. They didn't do the simple things right. No, yeah, that that's bang on. No, we didn't. We didn't. Even the stuff we should have got right, we didn't. And yeah, I, th- I think there's a, you know, there's a lot being made about how tired we look at the minute, but not competing physically. I mean, that's not just down to tiredness. Rotherham have played just as many games as we have, and every team's going through the same thing. You could argue their squad is a lot worse than ours, and they coped fine, you know. And, and and I do think tiredness does play its part. And I think I go back to what I just said before. I think he probably rested the wrong players. Like I, I actually think if he picks Luke O'Neill in midfield instead of Neil or Mishu, and perhaps even starts Ekwa in this game, just because they give us that physical barrier that the other two can't give us, because it's just not their game. It might be a different game. You're right, though, about the outnumbered thing. I think that the fact they had three in the middle was a big difference because we were going back to front and missing out the midfield. And then when the ball was there to be won in the middle, there was just this huge gap between attack and defence. There was, it, it wasn't working. It was quite clear from early in the game it wasn't working. I don't know whether he maybe felt that we would eventually get a spell and have control of the ball and that it would work out because he has got a lot of trust in them two players. And I'm not pinning the blame for the for the performance on them too. I just think they were probably let down by the team selection a little bit. The tactics just yeah, it was a bit of everything, wasn't it? It wasn't one single thing. Just nah. nothing really went right. It didn't mesh correctly, and it was a battle that we lost. It wasn't a you know we weren't out footballed or outplayed by Rotherham. I actually don't think we battled well enough. And I think you know by the time we did, and by the time we did have our spell, and by the time Rotherham that ingrained pessimism they've probably got about the performances at the minute because they're doing so poorly once they were like oh god son they're getting on top of us a little bit I just think it was a bit too late by that point I don't like this thing of sort of wait until a game's out out of reach before you decide you're going to turn it on I've never liked that and that's really what we did I mean, like you said, we'll never know about the personnel now, you know, whether Putnick were and would have, you know, talked about that battle. I mean, look, full stop, Rotherham wanted that more than we did. I mean, that was just, mm-hmm. that was the bottom line, which, which you know, we shouldn't really be saying. I mean, we should be matching them on, on that front. But regardless of the personnel, we should we should want it as much as, as much as they do. But, I mean, talking about, again, kind of that, that personnel, I mean, I was crying out for us to kind of match them up early on because it was obvious we were getting outnumbered early on. And I was crying out saying, well, Pritchard just looked a bit lost on the left-hand side. 
if he played behind Gellart and then we moved Clark over to the left and then Pritchard could have done the same thing as Rathbone and dropped in when we were out of possession as kind of that third central midfielder. And I don't understand why he kind of stuck to this almost kind of four four two as it as it was even when we were out of possession. Nobody dropped in and helped them. And the, the, talking about the battle, winning the battle. I mean, yes, okay. You know, we we did get out battled. You know, whether it was they wanted it more or whether it was the the system. But the, my problem with Neil and Dan Neil and Mishu was even when we got possession of the football, they didn't do their thing. They didn't no. keep possession. They, they didn't do what they're good at. And you can say all day that Mishu and Dan Neil might get out-battled by players, which is uh, you know, absolutely right. They, that's going to happen this season, especially against teams like this. But their thing is keeping possession of the ball and being good on the ball and picking passes out. And they didn't do that right. So who's to say that, yeah, okay, we might say, oh, they got the, got the team selection wrong. But at the same time, like Dan Neil and Mishu didn't, kind of do what they're good at very well. So we'll never know, you know, if they if they had a performance which we're used to seeing this season, whether we actually would have gotten a result. Yeah, and it, it, again, like I say, it, it, it's it's all right sitting here saying it now in hindsight, the team selection was wrong and and all the rest of it. But I mean, I just, I think when you think back to that QPR game, 0-9 was so good in that game and it wasn't, wasn't for his sort of technical ability. It was more for... He's all around performance. It was it was just a battle in midfield performance, and I felt this was going to be more like that type of game than the game at the weekend, which obviously we drew. But it was a very different game, and um, even then, oh nine, I think he he played right back, didn't he? He put a great ball in at one point, which I think um, Gelhart was offside. Done it again, which we scored from, and then was moved to left centre half. He never actually played centre mid, even though. We could have probably done with them after that hour mark in there just to to give us something. But maybe I maybe I'm not seeing the the bigger picture here. Maybe Mowbray just doesn't particularly rate him there. I don't know. It just seems a bit strange after the QPR game that he hasn't actually played there. Yeah, and I, I don't. Yeah, I don't disagree that we needed more bite in there. I think to, I think my frustration comes from the fact that we didn't see performances from the players that were on the pitch and the positions that they were given, which was just frustrating all night. Yeah, well, we had a number of chances, didn't we? If you think you mentioned the Pritchard one, which was a... He, he crafted that himself, really, didn't he? Got to be fair to him. Uh, but it was a great save from the goalkeeper. Ballard missed an absolutely glorious header, which, to me, I'm expecting him to bury. You know, he's, he's got a great leap on him. He, he, he's got all of the room to do what he wants to do. Heads that wide. And then their their goal, the first one, which we might as well talk about from Ollie Rathbone. Yeah. Poor, isn't it? You know, just all around from us. I mean that 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 goal was a perfect example of how we how we played the all night. Rathbone almost he, he kind of he was kind of just walking up to the edge of the box. Three yeah. players around him. I think there was or nine was it or nine Danny Bar and someone else. I think there was Mich- three. Well, of them. Mich- Mishu Mishu was, was the Mishu? main culprit in it for me. He he sort of jogs towards it. Doesn't actually yeah, make any well, attempt. All of all three of them were, and they just they just gave him the room to to swing his foot at it and. I mean, it was, it was a complete, it was a, a perfect example of how we were all night. I mean, we weren't, we weren't on Rotherham. We weren't on top of them when they had the ball. They they had just had time to do. They they had so much time on the ball when they were knocking it about. I mean, the times Rotherham were looked like they played nice football, but to be fair, when people give you fifteen yards and nobody's pressing you, I mean, it's it's going to be easy to play football, isn't it? Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and again, the second one was just really poor, wasn't it? I think it starts with Dan Neal slipping on his arse. Mm. Not releasing the ball early enough, really. He has chances to pass it. Tries to pivot on the ball and slips over, which allows them the run. Totally catches us on the hop because I would I think our two centre halves had split waiting for a pass, and obviously because they'd done that, it opened up all that room for Rotherham to break against us. Ferguson, when he's down the left hand side, there's I mean I think it's, I think if I remember rightly, Luke O'Neill's trying his best to sprint back to cover the space, but it's too little, too late, and another long range goal which beats Patterson. I can't really blame. By the way, I can't really blame Patson no. for either goal. I think, you know, no. although there were long-range strikes, I think he's been let down by the players ahead of him. But again, another the daft error, really, you know, a very needless goal. And it's not, To be honest, and I said I wasn't going to pick anybody out, but it's not the first time Daniel's done that this season. And I was really hoping we'd seen the last of that. I know he's a young lad who is going to make mistakes, but you've got to learn from your mistakes too. And that isn't the first time he's done that. For me, it was it was a bit of a tired effort to get back and to get the ball back from Dan Neil. Anybody can slip over, but like he just looked, he just looked tired mm-hmm. once he'd slipped over. And when they started charging forward with the ball, Dan Neil seemed to be losing ground on them, even though kind of they were running with the ball and Dan Neil wasn't. And it just looked, he just looked tired at that point. And I know we've talked about that. Keep putting Dan Neil in because he's going to learn so much. Keep him in, keep him in. But I, I do wonder if now's the time just to say, look, look, have a week off and have seven days to rest up. And I know we've got seven days. We've got a week after the Coventry game. So yeah, I, sus- I, I suspect he's going to be in the 11 against Coventry. But um, like I said, looking at that tired effort to, to get back at that point in the game, you do wonder if it's time to bring him out. Yeah. Um, and we did respond, to be fair, five minutes later, we got our goal. Like I said, not long before the goal, we had one chalked off. It was all nine putting the ball in. Another great effort from him. I thought Ahmad was uh, poor all all night, mm. but he has a role to play in the goal. Um, plays it to and who puts a peach of a ball in, really. And I know it, it's difficult, isn't it, to just sort of swing the ball in and expect someone to be there. So it's a good run from Gellhart mm. to get his head on the end of it. He has to bury it, to be fair, but his movement to get on the end of the ball is really good. And yeah, we got one back, and it was, like I say, what in the end, it ended up being too late. But... We did give ourselves a chance at that point. We had half an hour to get back in the game, which we didn't do. But I, th- I come back to the, the thing you just said about tiredness and and Neil, Neil not really looking up with because he he was maybe a little bit, you know, tired by that point in the game. I don't know. Mm. That was what plagued us in the final thirty minutes of the game because you had Patrick Roberts doing everything he could to try and get us back in the game. I thought he was superb, but then there was some very tired bodies around him and. It didn't matter what changes Mowbray made. They just it it didn't work really. You know it didn't work, and yeah, yeah just a, a a tough night. I think it's worth it's worth talking about Ahmad at this point because you mentioned him there, mm. and and we talked after the Bristol City game, and I, I did say then that I was a I was a little bit surprised because I felt like Ahmad needed a break. He just looks like yeah. he needs a rest. It's actually been a while since we've kind of. I know he, he hits such heights, you know, he's such a fantastic player um, that it's it's going to be effort for anyone to kind of keep that consistency there, especially, you know, when he's come here to get first team games and almost learn his trade a little bit. So to hit the heights he did and to stay there, I mean, it, like I said, it's difficult for anyone, especially for what, how old is he? I think he's tw- he's only 20. So, I mean, God, he's, he's, he's still young. 
but he's dropped off and I, I don't think there's any denying it. And I think Tony Mowbray's got a bit of a dilemma now because, because what do you do? What do you do with such a fantastic, yeah. what do you do with such a fantastic player who you want in there, you want on the ball, but at the minute he's not producing. So yeah, do you just keep saying, right, you're going to find it. It's going to click again at some point. Or do you say, no, come on, let's have a week off. Let's come out completely, have a break, and then you'll be refreshed for the last time. I mean, that's it's a massive decision for Tony Mowbray because it, it, at times he was, I don't know, he was just kind of, he was just wandering a bit. Ahmad, he, he kind of looked lost when he got the ball. He didn't quite know whether to take them on down the line. I mean, he seemed lost with Patrick Roberts, uh, or without Patrick Roberts, I should say. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a conundrum for, for Mowbray because you want Ahmad on the pitch and you want him doing his thing, but when when he's not on it, he he was he's been really off the last few games, so it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see what Mowbray does. Yeah, Bomber mentioned it in his uh, post-match talking points piece on the on the website. You know, he asked which is the lesser of two evils: is it resting him and making the team weaker, mm-hmm. or persevering with a Ahmad who's playing at a fraction of his ability? It's I I think I know what Mowbray will do. He'll persist with him because he's yeah. done that with other players when they've had tough games and but that's they've the policy. That's yeah, the policy yeah. of the club now. It's like these lads are young, but we're not punishing them for bad form. We're not. But it's it's how do you manage them? Because they have to be managed. I mean, even go you look at you look at Alex Ferguson back in the day with the young players. He didn't just kind of flog them and play them every game. He brought he put them back. He put them in, took them out for a few games, all that sort of stuff. So you know, but when you've got a squad full of them, you know, how how do you kind of rotate them? The other thing is as well, and I'm, I've mentioned this to somebody today. And I've been thinking about it today is, you know, does he really trust the other players in reserve yet? Because if you do, then it's a lot easier to take them out, isn't it? And you're looking at Isaac Lee Hadji, who's not really been here very long, who, you know, Mowbray made a point of saying he doesn't speak good English yet. So so his communication on the pitch is going to be difficult. Dewey, on the other side of the pitch, has been here since the summer, but isn't starting games. He's bringing them off the bench when we need a goal and stuff, but he, he isn't starting games. And you're looking at it and you think, does he does he trust them enough or not? Because if he did, then I would be sat here going, well, we can take Ahmad out because we've got options. We can we can bring in Bennett, we can bring in Lee Hadji and maybe try something different against Coventry. But I, I actually think that's the conundrum that's facing Tony Mowbray is he knows he probably should take Ahmad out but it's a case of, are we worse off by bringing in someone else who I don't really trust yet? Yeah. And that's the conundrum he's facing. And he, he hinted at it, I think it was a good couple of weeks ago, he, he was talking about it and he, he was asked a question about rotation. He wanted these players to, to learn what their jobs are defensively. And he said, these players, you know, they need to learn the the kind of the structure and where they need to be, what positionally they need to be kind of whether the wide players are helping their full back out or whether people drop in or where do they you know so so I think that I think you're you're exactly right that there's an element of trust, but it's it's more that maybe like you said, the communication problems if they're trying to teach them this is how we play, this is how we set up, this is where you should be. Because I think he he said I can't put these players in until they're up to speed with all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, might as well end this bit on Rotherham with a couple of positives. And uh, like I said before, Gelhart got a goal, which gets him off and running. I mean, he missed a few as well, like, but he got the the important thing was that he got one of them. Uh, and also, 
Patrick Roberts' performance, he was superb, I felt. I came away from that game and my abiding thought and feeling about him was that we we actually don't understand how important he is until he's not in the team because mm. everything make everything ticks when he's on the pitch. He makes everything else work. I mean, you, you mentioned Ahmad before. Um, he, he still wasn't great when Roberts was on the pitch, but you, you just see everybody else pick their levels up when he's there because he's so good. And I think we've maybe worked out now that he, he has to play when he's fit because he's he's absolutely fantastic. He's got everything apart from apart from probably the, the, the final product, but is the sort of overall, if the team was a machine, he, he, he is right at the centre of it, making everything work. Mm, yeah, and what, what impressed me about Roberts when he came on as well, more, you know, we, we always talk about Roberts and he was great on the ball. You know, he looks, you know, he's always got that touch about him, but but his work rate when he came on and it was it was head and shoulders above anyone, any other Sunderland player on the pitch. He, he just seemed to be, he wanted to, he wanted to get back and win the ball on the edge of our own area. Then he wanted to kind of run with it. Then he wanted to be, he was playing one-twos to get us up the pitch. And it just showed actually how that was lacking in the rest of the team all night, that when Roberts came on and his work rate was like that, you could see a massive difference between him and everyone else. Mm. Just on Gellard, by the way, before because just because, yeah, he did miss a few chances. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic that he's got his goal. But I do think the signs there that I, I, I think there's a player there and I think some of his troubles to start with in the last few games haven't been helped by the form of the rest of the team. We seem to have kind of dipped a little bit in terms of our chance creation and how good those chances are. And I think Gellart's come in just as we've had that dip. And I don't think that's helped him. But I do think there's a couple of times, you know, that what he did with Clark at the weekend, you know, with that holding the ball up, getting involved, playing that ball wide and then scoring the goal. I think there's a player there. I'm just hoping, like I said, he he gets a run of games and the players around him pick it up because I I think I think he could um, end up impressing us before the end of the season. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. I'm just uh, some some of the missed chances and stuff have been concerning, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge him too early on that. I think you've got to remember he's a he's a young kid. He's probably been thrust into this sooner than he expected and in a more prominent role and. Hadn't played a great deal of football before he came here, so certainly won't won't be sort of marking what I think about him right now. Definitively, I think he's you know we we should stay with an open mind and hopefully he uh, gets a gets a lot of goals between now and the end of the season. I think he's got the desire to do it, which is a big part of it with with some forwards, isn't it? You know, mm. some forwards they've got all the ability in the world, but they can't be asked. Or you got the other side of things where they you know they're very talented, but they they, they haven't got the application and. Um, I think his application is definitely there. And there's obviously talent, or he wouldn't be playing for a Premier League team. So yeah. let's just hope he, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully kicks on from here because I think he needed that goal. I think yeah. it's been evident that he's been trying maybe a little bit too hard to get the goal, and that's maybe affected some of his performances. And that that's natural, really. You know, when when a, when a striker's confident, the the ball could hit them anywhere, and it'll go in the back of the net. And mm. um, when when you when you're not confident, or you haven't been able to gather any momentum as a player then you just don't have that feeling about you. And let's hope that that goal does that for him, mm-hmm. which I guess segues us nicely into the conversation about the game at the weekend. Coventry away, another tough one, 12.30 kickoff on Saturday, live on Sky against a team who always give us a good game. To be honest, I don't remember the last time we beat Coventry away. I can tell you. Go on then. 
1985. Last time we beat them over, we haven't won at Coventry in the last 10 games. Goes back to 1985. John Moore scored the winner at uh, Highfield Road. So it's been a while. There you go. Well, every time I've ever been to Coventry, I've seen us get beat. I remember going there when um, I think it was still at Highfield Road when uh, Peter Reid was our manager. Mm. And I think it was the opening game of the season. They beat us 3 2. I remember being there. I haven't had happy memories of Coventry down the years. But um, let's hope we change things this weekend. We've got great opportunity to get back to winning ways. They've had um, a couple of wins, I think, in the last couple of games. So it's not going to be easy. You know, we we saw at the start, I think we played them on the opening day, didn't we? And they snatched that point right at the death. They've got, in my eyes, with Ross Stewart on the on the sidelines now, they've got the best striker in the league in uh, Victor Gotterez. I think that's how you pronounce it. But he he's, <laughs> other than Ross Stewart, in my eyes, the best striker in the league. He's just got everything. He's powerful. He's big. He scores goals. He carries himself like a top player. I'm just reading here now. He's been directly involved in 18 league goals this season with 14 Goals and four assists, so that's um, that, that's obviously the the danger man, isn't it? <laughs> he he he's the one to watch. I think I'm just, again just reading here. He's scored twice as many as any other Coventry player this season, and has had a hand in five goals in his last six appearances. So yeah, it's about Danny Ballard and Danny Bath handling him. I guess this game, isn't it? It is, it is, and I, I don't know how um, I don't know how significant um, the fact that Coventry didn't play in midweek is going to be. Big uh, discussion at the minute about how tired we are, and you know we've talked, we've touched on it. Coventry didn't play during the week, so they've they've had a break of kind of seven days between games. So I don't know how significant um, that's going to be. Like you said, they've won the last two at home. They've got they've got the seventh best home record. It's basically their their home record that's been keeping them where they are in the league. So that their home record's been keeping them in touch. Seventh best in the league. There's only four sides conceded less at home than Coventry this season. So they've got a really good um, defensive record. They've only been beaten once at home in the last eleven games. So it's it's their home form basically that they rely on to to keep them in touch with with the playoffs because. I think they've got something like the sixth worst away record in the division. So the, the crap away from home and at home, that's where they pick up the points. So this is a really tough one. We we said, you know, after the Bristol City game, and it was funny because we, we were talking about picking the Rotherham team based on Coventry being a tough game, but not taking our eye off the, the Rotherham game. But hmm. the fact that we've done that, it puts more pressure on us getting a result at Coventry now. Because now it's, you know, we don't get a don't get a result at Coventry, you know, we're looking at three without a win and then, you know, kind of, we don't want kind of heads to start dropping because we want to look at the bigger picture where it's, you know, first away defeat at Rotherham since since October, I think it was when we got beat off Black, Blackburn. So, you know, we, we've got to look at the big picture and say, well, we've been on this good run and it's, you know, even though we had that bad result against Rotherham and that last minute blow against Bristol City, we've been fantastic away from home. And there's no reason why we can't go to Coventry and, and get a result. It is a tough game. They've got a cracking record. They're a good team. They've got threat going forward. But if we can step it back up and we can get those players firing again, there's no reason why we can't get a result. No, no. I'm I'm pretty confident that we'll go there and we won't be as bad as we were at Rotherham <laughs> because I think, you know... It's a challenge. <laughs> Well, yeah, I I think you you've just got to expect that that might have been a bit of a rocket up their asses, and that um, we maybe won't be as laxadaisical with the team selection and the and the tactics and stuff because 
obviously Coventry are a, are a better team than Rotherham, and we we didn't turn up at Rotherham, so that that's the important thing for me. We have to turn up. We have to compete. I think people would be happy with a point if it's a well fought. You know, uh, we play we play good football. We, yeah. we we work hard for the point. Then I think people would be happy with that. What that's the important thing. I don't want us to come away from this and people be like, oh God, we're 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 on a bit of a downer here, and you know. A continuation of what we saw at Rotherham, really. People sort of talking about the same things: players looking tired, players looking jaded, um, not having the options, things not coming off. And at this point, we've we've been really, really lucky to to be able to say we've played some fantastic football this season. You know, we're in a good position with the playoffs, and a win would still be fantastic for us because it would push us into the playoffs. Hopefully, again in the playoff spot. So. You know, there's still plenty to be positive about. I know we've talked a lot about right. things that pissed us off after Rotherham and and things like that. But I think I think we've only once this season lost back to back games, haven't we? Which was Blackburn and Burnley, which shows we do tend to respond fairly well to to adversity. And let's just hope we do it again. I mean, probably put the mockers on us. I say this every time I make a big <laughs> statement like that. But um, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm I'm hoping that we I'm hoping that we give a good account of ourselves. That's all I'm, I'm bothered about. Yeah, and a defeat, a defeat isn't the end of the world. And I think, I think, as you've said, we've got a little bit more griping to do just because the performance was, was so bad, really, compared to what we've seen this season. I mm. mean, I'll take you back to kind of Millwall away, Sheffield United away, you know, where we didn't, we didn't win the game. You know, the fans were, you know, giving the players a standing ovation after the game because we we knew that they put in the graft and it, you know, they they put in a real shift for us and they they actually played well. So I mean, it. You know, I think we kind of respond even if the team gets beat, as long as they put in a shift and put in a performance. Mm. And but like like you've touched on that, a defeat it's not the end of the world. Uh, and I, I think, like I said at the beginning, it might it could act as a good thing in the long term if if we learn from it. And actually, if it kind of gets us out of this, just doing enough to get results because I think that's what we were doing until Rotherham. But yeah, if if Mowbray kind of plays this well you know, does the psychology thing, then, you know, hopefully we can step it back up and, and go on another run. What's your good feeling about the game then? How do you see it playing out and, and what have you? I, I'm just, I'll be, I'll be happy with getting, us getting a point. I think, I think rather, I think Coventry are going to smell blood. I think that if they, if they had scouts at the Rotherham game, they, they'll have a game plan. If they, if they had someone watching the game, then they'll know how to get at us. But I don't think Tony Mowbray is going to set up with that He's not going to go to Coventry and set up with that almost four four two. He will not do that. I'm hoping he's learned from the opening period against QPR and this game against Rotherham that he will not do that against a side like Coventry because you know QPR was struggling, Rotherham was struggling, and I think he kind of played that card. I don't think he'll do that at Coventry. I think I think you'll see someone playing just behind Gellart who drops into midfield and, and helps them out and makes us that little mm. bit tighter. Yeah, well, as has become a, a mini theme of podcasts recently, we've uh, we might as well finish off with some questions from Twitter. Because if I don't do it now, I'll forget. Um, so <laughs> Michael Bowers has asked us thoughts on the state of the officials. How do we tackle the frustrating lack of consistency? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, this probably touches on another question we got from Joe Lewins, who has asked us our thoughts on the disallowed Elise goal, which we haven't actually talked about yet, but. Yeah, there was obviously that chance at the end of the game where their goalkeeper comes careering out from his goal, clatters into Luke O'Nine's elbow, which I don't think O'Nine knows anything about. The loose ball's then put in the back of the net by Adjilisi and we don't get the goal. 
replays have shown that it was probably an unfair decision. The referee should have gave the goal. And that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? Really, we, we there is no consistency. I know you've you've talked a lot about this throughout the season about the the, the sort of guidance that refs are getting now, and and a big thing I've I've sort of talked about when it comes to referees is that you know, particularly this guy, he's a Premier League ref who works under very different rules than the Championship refs do because they have a lot more help. They have VAR. They have you know a lot more help than these these guys do. And we, we've seen this a few times this season when Premier League refs drop down to referee us. They always, have, they always seem to have stinkers when they, when they take our games. And I do wonder how much that has to do with the fact that Premier League games are ref very differently to championship games. So it, it, what do you think of it all? Yeah, well, I've, I think we've talked about this before, that I think, um, I think refs are having a really difficult time getting consistency between themselves with this rule changes this year where... They, they kind of followed the World Cup where they, they're kind of letting the game go for and, and I think us as fans are are getting frustrated with the lack of consistency, but also we are getting used to the rules ourselves because last season we would have seen the whistle go and we would have seen free kicks given for things that aren't free kicks this year. But again, you wouldn't mind so much if they were given the same decisions from minute to minute during the game. The problem is there's a tackle going in that they're not given a free kick for. And then exactly the same tackle goes in five minutes later, and then they give they, they do the opposite. So it it was going to take time this season, but the refs are finding it hard. Fans are going to find it hard accepting it. And and yeah, I, I mean to be honest, I think I can't remember how the question was worded. How how we're going to deal with it? Well, I think we've lived with crap referees for so many years now that I think just you're just going to accept <laughs> that. Basically, when when there's a good referee, we've got to try and celebrate it because they're few and far between. To be honest, um, I can't mm. remember the last one. But yeah, t- just quickly on the penalty. Um, the penalty. Uh, the penalty shout. Oh, sorry. The sorry. The foul <laughs> on the keeper. Uh, that one. Um, the disallowed goal. Um, it was in the penalty box. I think that's where I was coming there from. There we go. Um, <laughs> it, it was purely given because it looked bad. The refer- uh, the the goalkeeper's head made contact with O'Nine's elbow and the referee just thought, yeah, foul. He flung himself and he, it was just a kind of instinct thing when a keeper goes down. Referees like to put their whistle to their mouths and hmm. that, that's how it turned out. Yeah. Uh, Shane Hagen asks, Bar... Stuart Roberts is the best player we have by a country mile. Agree or disagree? I think I briefly sort of touched on this before when I said, you know, he makes the whole team tick. But the best player we have by a country mile, do you think? Oh, well, come on. I mean, I, I was a crap centre half, but I was a centre half. So, I mean, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't compare Dan Ballard with uh, Patrick Roberts, can you, in terms of no. <laughs> product? Because, you know, Dan Ballard, uh, Danny Bart, they do their jobs probably just as good as Roberts, but they don't look quite as spectacular doing it, do they? So, mm. you know, you, you could you could argue, you know, who's who's our if you're talking about who's our most technically gifted player, you know, Rob, it's going to be Roberts and Ahmad, isn't it? If you're talking about, you know, most effective, then yeah. I don't know, you, you could toss a coin between quite a few of them. Yeah, well, yeah, I I actually think that in terms of pure talent, and we don't own Ahmad, so I don't know if he counts in this discussion maybe he does but I think in, t- Ooh, in terms of gosh. pure pure <laughs> talent I can't think really of anybody who's on his level but yeah you're right I mean my, my concern with Roberts has been that for all the talent he's got and the fantastic all-round game he's got it's actually the end product that's lacking a little bit he doesn't score enough he doesn't assist enough I think I've seen that was his 50th game when he came mm. on at Rotherham and I think he's got six goals in 50 games yeah. 
which isn't isn't brilliant, is it? You know, and two of them were against Redden. Two of them were in one game. So, you know, take that out of the equation, that's 49 games, four goals. That's it's not brilliant. But then you could say that he, this is this is the first time he's really been prominent in the team, the first time he's had a proper run of games where it apart from apart from Rotherham, uh, where he's where he's had a proper run of games and been in the team every week. So I actually think there's still a lot of improvement to be done with Roberts. I think, you know, I think he's the type of player when he's really confident and feels important, he's unplayable. And that's, we're verging on that at the minute. I don't think we're quite there. Mm. I think once he starts scoring goals, we will be there. But yeah. he's definitely right up there in the conversation of best player we've got. I mean, can't be many oh, yeah. more better players than him at the minute. Um, one of the other questions, let's go for this one from Josh Hutchinson who asks, do you think the tiredness excuse is a cop-out or valid? Everyone else has played the same number of games. Again, something I touch on in, in the chat there about the Rotherham game, but is it a cop-out or is it a valid valid excuse? Well, you, you know you know what kind of I found a little bit frustrating? I don't know if you watched Tony Mowbray's pre-match press conference, but he, I think right at the beginning of the press conference, he was asked about, is it good that we've got a, a game... You know, a few days after the Bristol City game, where the last minute goal went in and it was a big blow, and you know, is it good that we've got a game a few days later that we can put it right? And his his immediate response was to say, "No, I'd prefer not to have a game." And he says, "You know that the players kind of need a rest." He says, and then he started to talk about, "Well, we've got players playing on the limit at the minute, and I'm trying to manage yeah, the the players yeah. and all this." And to me, I, I just thought, just to hear Mowbray say. I don't want a game in midweek, but we're going to have to go there and we're going to have to try our best. It just, and I love Tony Mowbray. I, I, I think he's fantastic. I love the guy. But when I heard that, I just thought, if you're a player listening to that, are you not yeah, thinking, yeah. like, you know, that your manager doesn't want us to play during the week because he thinks we're all knackered? He is a bit, he is a bit glass half empty at times, isn't he? When he, when he talks, like, I, I, one of the things that always stands out to me with him is he, he always begins an answer to a question by, Bigging up the opposition, like he's, he'll tell you how great they are before he talks about his own players. I don't know why he does it. It's obviously just it's the way he is. But you're totally right. I think um, you know if he's saying it in front of the press, he's saying it in front of the players. They're obviously talking about how tired they are. It's it, it, it's dominating every conversation. But Josh says there, you know, everyone else has played the same number of games, and yeah. you know, are all the managers making excuses for being tired? We've still got a better squad than Rotherham, and they outbattled us. So I. I'm probably more errant towards it's a bit of a cop out actually you know yeah. I do agree that we do look tired but it's a game of football this, to me I'm very old school and I think and I think and I think if you can't run around for 90 minutes when that's your job to be fit enough to do it then there's something something wrong there I know players players do play with injuries not every player is the same you know you have players who will play through any any issue like Luke 9 and then you've got the other end of the scale you know you your Daniel Sturridge's who apparently would never play if he didn't feel 100% fit and all the rest of it. You know, every player's different. You've, you've got to go on a player-by-player -player basis. And uh, yeah, I just think it is a bit of a cop-out to sit here and say, oh, well, that, that was they're tired, they're tired. Yeah. So is every other player in the league and they just get on with their job, don't they? I, I completely agree. And the other thing is, I mean, if you, you know, if you kind of list out our squad, I mean, obviously apart from Gallardo, <laughs> we have got options. You know, in in other areas of the pitch, I mean, to to kind of bring players out, and is it as you asked the question earlier on, Tony Mowbray 
seems reluctant to use that squad. So if they're that tired, you know, that kind of bring them out, use some of those other players. You know, we've got them because we trust them. Look at the, the likes of Hume, the likes of, you know, Michu, you know, that young lads who were waiting in the wings for so long, then got the chance and took it. So, you know, mm. do you think, you know, if you give Barr a couple of games, will he will he kind of take that chance? Even Bennett, I mean, will he, if you give start him from a game, is he going to take that chance? I mean, but, or Equa, you know, that we talked about earlier on. So if they're that knackered, use the squad. Yeah. But, you know, if they're that knackered now, we've still got, what, how many games? 15 games left, something like that. Mm. So I'm hoping they're not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last thing to quickly touch on, Corey Evans has signed a new contract. He's signed... Uh, a one-year deal that was due to expire in the summer. There's a further option of another year there. So, you know, if we want to keep him an extra year, we can. So he's here till at least the summer of 2024. Corey Evans, 32-year-old, played 64 games for us since he joined, but is currently sat out on the sidelines having suffered an ACL injury, which has been a season-ender. One point in time was a career-ender, you know. It's a very serious mm. injury. What do you think about that then, given a new contract to a player who could feasibly you know perhaps not even start next season if he doesn't recover well enough is is that is that a good move from us or is that just a is it is it a sign of loyalty to a player who's been pretty committed with us i mean what do you think i think it works on a on a couple of levels i think he's probably good around the place he kind of showed it on the pitch first half of the season um you know he he was playing well um just unlucky with that with that injury but like i said i think it works on that level. I mean, if you look at how we treated Jordan Willis, we did the right thing by him. And listening to Christian Speakman as well in the podcast he did with the club just after the, the transfer deadline ended. And he, he talked about Jordan Willis and he said, that's the way the club are now. They look after players and they want to be known to to be, to be look after players. And and Evans could well play a part next season, I think. But that, I think that's why it works on, on a few levels good to have around the place you know we're doing the right thing by him by not just kind of oh well you're injured but you're getting released in the summer we're not being kind of ruthless with players so so yeah i think that it seems like the right thing to do um on Mm. on every level really yeah yeah i know i agree yeah i think Corey evans has been fantastic for us since he came in and um i just think you know regardless of the fact he's injured i think he's he's got enough change in the bank there to um to have earned at least another year with the club. And this is a team, let's not forget, who are very, very young and inexperienced. Mm. And um, we've already lost, you know, Bailey Wright's gone, probably won't be coming back to play for us. And we do need to have some continuity to be able to bring those players on a bit more even next year, regardless of what league we're in. You know, let's say we do get promoted somehow, you know, we're still going to need the older experienced lads around that team to just keep everything ticking over and working. And yeah, I just think it's a, it's a no brainer. And what's nice is that the club have got this one done out the way while he's in the middle of his rehab, because it it's at least a weight off his shoulders and he can yeah. look forward to next season rather than thinking, am I just going to get released? And this is all a bit of a waste of time. And, you know, should I be planning for life away from Sunderland? They've went, no, you're staying, you're one of us, you know, we're keeping you about. So yeah, yeah good, just, just good on a, professional and human level from Sunderland, I think, to get this deal tied up. Yeah, nice to see. And uh, just looking at, um, just reading Speakman's uh, words as well, I think that the last words he used in the in the statement was, uh, he remains a huge influence around the team and in in the club. So, you know, he, he's obviously been, he's around the place, he's not kind of hiding away, doing his rehab, he's, he's involved and he's a, he's a voice, 
in and around the place. So, so yeah, I think it's a good move. Yeah, well, that's a nice positive end to an otherwise drab show. <laughs> so if you've managed to stick with us this long, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, Chris, as always. <laughs> no worries. Cheers, mate. Cheers to the listeners. Cheers to everyone who sent us questions in. I did manage to shoehorn them in after originally forgetting that I'd asked for them. So thanks for <laughs> listening to those as well. Uh, we will be back after the Coventry game, hopefully with something a bit more positive to talk about because yeah, we don't like talking about sun and losing. It's not nice. So if they could win, that would be lovely. And uh, yeah, make sure you catch everything on rotereport.espionation.com before and after the game. We'll be there every single day with that. So yeah, catch you later. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.